This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, it's Robbie here, and on this episode of the Offscript Podcast, we're in conversation with racing driver Kenny Brack, a man who won the Indy 500 and also experienced the highest level of G-force horizontally that any human being has ever survived. It's a fascinating story. It's Kenny Brack on the Offscript Podcast. The Big Interview with Offscript. All right, today we are in conversation with a former race car driver from Sweden, Sweden, Kenny Brack, a man who competed at the highest level for well over a decade. He competed in Indy Racing League, the IROC series. He won the 1999 Indianapolis 500, one of the great races. In fact, it's part of the Triple Crown, isn't it? With the uh, Monaco Grand Prix and the, the Le Mans 24, 24 hours. He's also the 1998 Indy Racing League champion. And he just so happened to survive one of the racings, one of the sport's biggest ever crashes at the Texas Motor Speedway in 2000. Do you know what his current job is, Chris? It's got to be one of the greatest on the planet. He he test drives McLaren oh, road cars stop. for a living. Stop it. And I can't drive, what a but job. it sounds awesome. Uh, it all started for Kenny growing up in Sweden as a young lad racing cars, and his upbringing was conventional. Unconventional, I should say, sorry, to say the least. I, I started driving cars uh, on the ice because we had uh, grew up uh, by a lake in Sweden, and so... Uh, the Swedish rally uh, was coming across that lake on the other side of the lake on the road. So my dad and I used to drive across the lake in the winter when it was frozen. And so I sat in its lap uh, and, and started driving and I loved it. And so that's how it started, really. Um, but it was difficult because obviously we I'm not from a motor racing family and we didn't have any money. But, you know, if you have a... You have determination and, uh, and a dream and, and passion for what you do. You know you, you can make it, sort uh, of thing. Uh, well, I, I can't imagine what driving across a frozen lake is, is actually like. But but I would assume, and this might be an incorrect assumption to make, but I would assume that it would give you uh, certainly an increased ability to control the car in 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 very sort of extreme situations, which obviously is a, a key skill for a racing driver. Did 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 your did your rather unusual upbringing and kind of form years help develop those skills, Kenny? I, I think it did. I don't think I thought about it much at the time, you know, but I think looking back, I think it did because, you know, by the time I started karting, uh, I was 14 years of age, but, you know, I'd driven thousands of miles in normal road cars on slippery surfaces with, you know, summer tires and that. So I had it sort of in my blood, um, the, the car control and, and, you know, the, the feeling for where, um, you know, the lap time comes from where it where it's uh, efficient to drive and so forth. So I, I do think it helped me a lot, actually. And also later in my career, you know, I, I ventured into, uh, you know, I won the X Games in 2009, which is more rally car driving. I drove road rallies with a co-driver, won those on gravel. And so I think that it sort of made me a, quite a versatile driver, really. So growing up, Kenny raced in Britain and Sweden in Formula Ford and Formula 3. He was the Swedish junior Formula Ford champion in 1986. And in Europe, the Formula Opel Lotus. He actually ended up with Renault Clio in the Scandinavian Cup uh, back in 1992. And that was a sort of circuitous route that took him ultimately to the US. And I asked him how he ended up moving over the pond to race in America. I won, I think, nine out of ten races that year. And then... 
you know, doors opened that I couldn't have imagined that could have opened like only a year earlier. And so um, that was uh, my guiding light. You know, I, I wouldn't drive anything unless I could, uh, unless I had competitive material to win. And so. I did have a Formula One testing contract um, uh, a little bit later in my career, but I I, uh, I retired from it because uh, it wasn't uh, a car that I could be competitive in. So uh, that's why I ended up in America, um, and um, I think that was if if I took any good decisions in my career, that was one because uh, you know. You gotta. If you're in sports, winning it, it can't be a dream. It's got to be a reality. Inter- interesting there that yeah, he could have gone down Formula One, but it wouldn't have been in a car that he could have won races in. Yeah, I love that. And isn't amazing that a lot of those drivers start a season knowing oh yeah they can't win a race. No, they can't. But I mean, they, they need they need. What they're trying to do is put themselves in the shop window, right? It's still awesome to be a Formula One driver. No, of course, of course. Right? The life that you lead, the lifestyle, and put yourself like George Russell has done in a lot of ways. He's put himself in the shop window. He's now joined Mercedes, and he represents the future of that team. Uh, but Kenny did say that in America, there is a lot more competitive parity than there is in Formula One. Uh, and that's, I guess, what led him to the States. He uh, actually ended up driving for a, a legend of, of racing over there, AJ Foyt. He joined that team in 1990. 98, and um, he won three consecutive races on the way to the IRL Championship in that same year. Uh, one of the undoubted pinnacles in motorsport, though, Chris, we mentioned oh, it earlier, yes. is the Indy 500 and the iconic Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which is this sprawling, iconic venue that must have been some sight to behold for Kenny when he made his debut there in 1997. If you think about it, like if you look at tracks and the most challenging tracks that I, at least I've been to, and I, I think Indy 500, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is, is is one of those because it is so big and the speeds are so high and the smallest mistake is so costly. There is another track that is on the same level and that's the Nürburgring Nordschleife. Uh, that's the same level, you know. It's extremely challenging. Uh, but um, the the thing with Indy is that it's it's the world's largest one day sporting event. So. You know, you get there on race day, and it's uh, it's half a million people uh, in the stands. It tends to make everyone your your tense, and uh, perhaps the drivers are the ones that are less tense. But you know, you have the whole team, the the mechanics, the pit crew. You see a lot of stuff there that you wouldn't see at other races because people simply make mistakes because. It's such a, an iconic, such a big event. It's so much pressure on everyone, both as a team, but also individually. It's really, uh, it's really a fantastic thing. And for me, I don't really think I appreciated it, that part of it so much while I was driving, actually. But, you know, as a previous winner, you are invited back every year to go as a spectator. So uh, when you go there and you don't have the driving duties and you see all this, you know, you see the people, you see the American military, you know, that's behind the race and the, the state of Indiana and the, the, the pure, the sheer size of it is mind-boggling, really. The experience for the driver and the fan attending is obviously a very different thing. Absolutely. Uh, but it's, it's amazing that these guys, when they're in the heat of the battle, they block everything else out and they're not really 
taking in smelling the roses. No, they're not. And experiencing it. So Absolutely not. not it's only when they're the retired and they get to go back. And that, that's when they get an appreciation, I think, for the scale of the event. Yeah, 500,000 people. It's mental. Yeah. It's absolutely. It's a bucket list event to definitely is. attend, isn't it? Go ahead. If it's safe to do so, do have a little look at the pictures. The Indy 500. It's a remarkable, remarkable spectacle. Now, competing in the Indy 500 oh. in front of half a million people is one thing. How about winning it, Chris? I mean, all the things that you've got to do, all the permutations. And we did, uh, you actually referenced the quiz question we ran, yeah, we ran a couple of years ago. The 500 in Indy 500. What is it in relation to? And a lot of people will often say, well, it's laps. It's laps of the Speedway track. You'd be wrong to say that because it's actually 200 laps at 2.5 miles a lap. And actually, the Indy 500 it constitutes for miles that these guys are driving. 500 of them. 500 miles. I mean, that's practically London to Glasgow. It's insane. Just around 200 times round a circular or ovals. At, at 220 track. miles an hour. At places. So let's let's go back to 1999. Kenny was battling with longtime race leader Robbie Gordon, and there was a dramatic finale. Half a lap to go for Breck. Job, Kenny, baby. <laughs> Amazing that. I asked Kenny what he recalled from that fine day in 1999. The, the last pit stop really decided the race because we stopped right at the end uh, of uh, of what we could stretch the window to. So uh, we, I can't remember the lap now, but a bunch of us stopped on the same lap and we knew that we could make it to the end but we had to save fuel to do it um, and um, uh, Robbie Gordon he he had stopped earlier than us so he was really in, uh, in, in a pickle situation let's say because if we didn't have fuel he, he had even less fuel so we were conserving fuel and uh, ticking down the laps and uh, at the end I had enough fuel to go well full rich on the, on the fuel and, and we caught him up and he uh, meanwhile he ran out uh, a lap or two to go so uh, it was surely uh, exciting you know had we gotten a yellow flag for example then he would have won the race but there were no yellow flags. It was green all the way. So he uh, unfortunately didn't have enough fuel, but, but we did. We just made it. And what, what was the emotion like when you, you crossed the finishing line? But this race is different. You know, it's such a big build-up to this one. And, you know, we got the, we got the cars uh, to drive that in, the, in, in sort of November the year before. And I remember when we got the, 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 the rolling chassis, I, I, I sort of... Uh, gathered all the team around that you know is a black piece of carbon and a gearbox and you know and I said to them in this car we'll win the Indy 500 next year you know so we, we sort of had this really laser focus to do it um, I was up at Indy you know and I I was walking around that track I was crawling around it you know to see where all the 
bumps and you know even outside the track like on the inside on the grass to see if there was you know manhole covers and stuff because you never really know where you're going to have to race at that place you know so it was such a focus on every little detail so when we won it was like it was like uh, you know it's like you run a marathon and then you take the final step over the, the the finish line and you sort of you have no more energy it's just that's it you you made it there but you're totally finished after you know it was a fantastic feeling is that the biggest most euphoric moment you you've had in your career well it's it's certainly the the, the biggest that people will remember me for uh, but you know there's been I mean, on an individual race level and championship and stuff like that, there's been quite a few uh, good moments, but uh, maybe the biggest one <laughs> was, uh, you know, when I made the comeback to India after my accident in 2003, right. you know, to come back, uh, that, that was probably... Well, I, I guess that was the only time I, I have felt that I won the race before the race even had started, you know, because to go back and qualify and, and put the car, you know, on the, on the fastest uh, qualifying time of, of the whole field, having been dead, you know, 18 months le- earlier, that was pretty big too. But there's been a few, but Indy 500 was definitely one of them. You heard him reference it there. Kenny has the distinction. Not sure whether it's enviable <laughs> or unenviable, but he holds the record for the most horizontal G-force survived by a human being. A whopping 214 Gs. It should not be possible no, to survive that, Chris. It happened in 2003, and this is how it happened. To make this all happen, he's got to be thinking inside his cockpit right now. Oh, big crash! Hard contact, hard in the wall. Terrible, terrible crash. Major major incident Kenny Breck getting way high up into the fence can yeah, I Google that I commentators even couldn't it. even wrap their head around it no I mean it is a brutal crash it went viral at the time uh, the, the pictures were beamed around the world and when you watch it it is eye wincing because you cannot believe that Kenny has actually walked away from that now, I had to ask Kenny what he recalled from that fatal day at the Texas Motor Speedway I always say to people if you want a world record to stick do something something that no one wants to do. Yeah, exactly. No one's going to break that. That's not going to go into the Guinness Book of Records anytime soon. No one, no one's going to go out and try to break it, that's for sure. That is for sure. That is for sure. There were a couple of guys that, that were experimenting. They were, they were fighter pilots, I think. They were trying to kind of experience as many Gs as possible, but your, your total blitzed them, of course, and, and that was at the Texas Motor Speedway in 2003. Do you have any recollection of of the incident at all or has your brain simply shut down that particular experience? I don't really remember anything from from the accident. I, I do remember me and my uh, some competitors. We were doing some fan activity before the race started. I remember a pit stop in the race that uh, didn't go so well for us. Uh, but I don't remember anything else, you know. But uh, <clears throat> I, I will have to say Texas Motor Speedway is one of those tracks, you know, that unusual things often happen because we were there in 2001 I believe and we qualified I sat on the pole and it was the the speed was so high around there that they they had to um, they had to actually cancel the race because some drivers couldn't stand the g-force we were pulling something like six g's um, and uh, people got disorientated and stuff so 
we had to cancel that race. So it's it's a it's a quite a, a unique little track that. <laughs> so th- th- this this incident happened on turn three, and you were doing two hundred and twenty miles an hour, Kenny. C- can you explain yeah. what happened to your car in that split second? Well, I, I don't think that uh, I can really, but I, I know obviously seeing the pictures many times. I mean, we were racing. Uh, it was hard racing, you know, and, and, and you don't, nobody gives an inch in that uh, situation. 10, 12 laps to go. And I think, uh, you know, we just um, touched wheels and it sent me straight up into the um, catch fencing. And, and that was, yeah, well, there was a gate post there, um, a big steel tube that holds the gate post. And my car went straight into it, you know, from 220 mile an hour to pretty much stand still in, 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 in no time. I mean, in a split second, he was propelled at 220 miles an hour to nothing as he hit the steel post. He suffered multiple fractures. He broke his sternum, his femur. He shattered a vertebrae in his spine, crushed his ankles. He spent 18 months recovering from his injuries. The big question I had to say and ask him is, how did he survive the crash? Well, God knows. I I don't really know. Um, You know, it was... uh, It was... uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I, I was. Uh, my heart didn't beat when when the when the uh, rescue crew came to the car. But I guess somebody decided that it wasn't time, you know. So part of surviving, I guess, you know, I was in really good shape. I know the doctor said that operated on my back that they'd never seen anybody with such big back muscles so probably uh, a combination of of, uh, well car safety of course uh, um, being in really good shape and, and a lot of luck I guess what was the overriding emotion when you kind of regained your senses? You woke up, I would imagine, in hospital, um, obviously on, on heavy medication, I'm sure, after the procedures that, that, that were t- taking place. But, you know, emotionally, what was your sort of state of mind at that point, Kenny? Well, you know, I, I didn't, I mean, I, I think I was in a coma for like five days. You know, obviously broke a lot of bones and had to have a lot of operations and had a lot of heavy drugs but for me I was like a, a bit of a, like a, a relief really not relief to have survived but more more of a relief to be relieved of all the pressure that comes with racing and and being on that sharp end all the time it was uh, I remember that it was like okay I have a, a good excuse not to be my best every day now but I, I obviously have to be, be the best for myself to get back from from this accident but I remember that feeling quite well actually yeah 12 years spent at the very top level at the cutting edge of high speed racing and that was the first time he didn't have to go through that that sort of pressure and that foreboding of getting in a car and racing at 220 miles every single week 220 miles an hour and that was the relief not to have survived the accident but to have actually just Take get a, a few just get a few days to kind of do, do nothing wow. um, he said he felt like a nice breather and, and his comeback was of course mentally challenging as well I asked him what his approach was to coming yeah. back I never really made any uh, plans to make a comeback in the beginning because, you know, I I couldn't even, well, I couldn't even sit in a wheelchair. I was bedridden for a long time. Um, So it wasn't really appropriate to start thinking like that. But I do remember um, saying 
you know, to myself, well, I got to do the best I can. So I, I set myself a really easy goal, which was to do everything I can today to start tomorrow as good as possible. Um, and that was really simple and it was tangible. You know, I could go to rehab when I got out of bed and I could roll myself in a wheelchair to rehab. And, I couldn't sort of lift my my lower leg in the beginning, but you know I tried, and then the next day I tried, and the third day I managed to do one lift of my lower leg, and then that was good because then the next day I could do two. You know, the, you know it, it sort of goes fast in the beginning, and I just pushed myself to do everything I could to to, to start off the next day as good as I I could do. I think it's it's important when you have something like that happen to you that you you really let go of everything and just focus on what's important and set really easy and tangible goals um and that worked well that worked for me anyway i thought that was a nice way of putting it do something today that puts me in a good position tomorrow tomorrow and then just repeat the process it's easier said than done isn't it it is but i mean yeah i'm sure when you're when you've been at that elite level and you've been you know that level of fitness and that level of competitive kind of energy i'm sure that that would really focus the mind Mm -hmm. to sort of get you back recovering from that horrific crash which set a world record of course not one he was intending to set but the most amount of horizontal g-force ever experienced by a human being to have survived it to 214 G's and uh, Kenny ultimately managed to recuperate. It took him 18 months but he made the decision to race again and he started testing again. He found that actually he'd lost none of his speed but physically he was exhausted and the main issue of course was that all the seats were taken. Mm. So when he was making that decision that he wanted to get back in the the cockpit uh, he had a lack of seats from which to choose and he explains how ultimately it played out. Okay if I just can get back physically to where I was prior my accident, maybe I could make make a comeback and 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 sort of because I really wanted that, you know. No, but I don't think anyone wants to be carried out on a stretcher from the stuff that they've done since they were kids. You know, that's it's a tough deal. But then there were there were no there were no rides available. You know, all the teams were full. Um, sure, there were a couple of smaller teams that were going to put together an effort for Indy 500 alone, but that's not really a winning operation. You can't go in to the biggest race in the world as a one-off and, and expect uh, to be, you know, at the forefront. Mm. And for me, it was important to come back in in the best possible um, circumstance because I've seen so many times when people. You know, drivers have accidents, they come back and they don't do well. And everyone says, oh, yeah, well, you know, no wonder that the crash he had or she had, it's it's not possible. I didn't want to put myself there. So I waited and waited and waited. And uh, uh, in the end, the driver that replaced me when I had my accident he had an accident and 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 um, fractured a vertebrae in his neck, oh. and so my team called me up and said, "Well, would you like to replace your replacement?" <laughs> and that was uh, how I got in. But but you know that was right at the last minute. I had one test day, I believe, and then there was uh, qualifying, and that was it. But it was the right thing to do. The, the opportunity came to me. Um, for some reason and um, you know um, I I managed to get back and I managed to be fastest and 
like I said, I, I had already won the race in my mind, and um, then I retired the actual race because knots uh, 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 on the steering arm came loose, so we had to retire. But in my mind, you know, to come back and you know set set the fastest qualifying time, that that was like a victory to me, and it was like uh, that's what I wanted to do for myself, like to prove that. I'm not going to let this thing, um, you know, decide my life. So there you have it. Kenny did make one final race. He then made the decision that he'd proved it. He'd done all he needed to do in the sport. And that was it. He retired from IndyCar racing. Fair play. More more power to him because to not only survive that, Robert, to go through the 18 months of rehabilitation, to make the decision that, listen, I'm going to get back in that driver's seat, that takes guts, courage, bravery, call it what you will. I mean, yes, some people argue it was his livelihood. It was it, It's almost a given that he would do that, but wow, just wow. And the fact that he's now still living a life in the fast seat, yes. uh, in the fast lane, shall I say, and yeah, fair play to Kenny Brack. Yeah. I'm not going to compare golf to uh, to racing IndyCar because that would be an absurd comparison. But I'm sure, in many ways, the weekend that Tiger Woods has just had at the Masters would have would have been as rich to him as some of his victories yeah. in the past because of what he went through to get back there. The reward that it would have given him after all that rehab and all that from where he came from to, to walk that fairway, as Kenny mentioned, the first time he said that he felt he'd won before the event even started. So Kenny now. T- He's the chief road uh, test driver for the McLaren Automotive Company. He took on that role back in 2018, and he lives in England. We, we say a massive thanks to him. I thought he spoke really well. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 